We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited first to welcome my co-host, Kim Sorrell, author of Love Is. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest. I am doing great, Neil. Thank you so much. And I am very excited about our guest. Uh, first of all, he's an Olympiad. I want to hear more about that. But Sean McClellan, the things that you are doing through Outdoors um, uh, Tomorrow Foundation are, is amazing to me. You've graduated over a half a million students. And, and I went to your website and I saw where a young woman saved somebody's life because of your program. And so welcome to the program. I know that you've been uh, at your job for about six years and, and we're just excited to hear about it. That's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Such an honor. Uh, I've watched a bunch of your show as well. So this is great fun. Oh, yeah. I appreciate it for sure. And uh, how did that all start for you? Like the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, how did it go? How did it become what it has become today? You know, uh, really over the last 10 years, uh, they really, uh, they saw the need and, and strictly because uh, kids are on devices and they just spend so many so much time on video games and uh, really uh, everything in between. So uh, between that and the love for nature, that's where this was really born out of. And seeing that need is something that drove us to create this two semester long outdoor education program. It's an incredible program that is doing incredible things. Hopefully it spreads like wildfire. You've just recently gotten a nice size grant to help do that. Can you talk about that a bit? Oh, my gosh. Uh, the International Order of T. Roosevelt. Um, and they they stand for everything that we do. Uh, and they're they're really targeting uh, so many different specific uh, research and conservation projects, and then the education side of what they do, uh, they just gave us a $100,000 grant uh, to help scale and accelerate our education program. And it's just phenomenal. Just incredible what they're doing. Now, finding an opportunity like that to get that kind of grant really changes the foundation's game, right? It changes the ability to fund, to come up with activities, allow more kids to be involved, right? For the money that you've been able to get from the grant. So much so. And it, what's really incredible here, uh, especially on a grant this size, uh, we can put that directly into reaching the, the very next school. So we have a the, our outdoor adventures program is a 180 hour, two semester long outdoor ed course. And as you know, uh, the outdoors has no bias. It doesn't matter how fast you are, tar, tall you are, or your socioeconomic status. So we typically teach this as a physical education course and uh, funding like this just helps us accelerate that. And by the way, we're reaching about 75% urban schools around the country. So we're primarily an urban program. As you can figure, a lot of those kids just never get off the concrete. So with funding like this, we're able to reach the very next school that and that typically doesn't have a budget for PE. So it's either going to be sitting in the bleachers, playing dodgeball, or uh, learning about camping, fishing, and the outdoors. Yes, I, I would love for you to talk more about how the program works exactly, because there's so much to it. There's some of your background, some shooting, I think, is involved and fishing and camping and kind of everything to do with outside. Um, how does the program work? Uh, oh, first there, uh, especially on the, uh, the, the Olympic side, uh, I shot international skeet, which is a clay target game in the Olympics. And uh, I'm a competitive person for first and foremost. So I'm able to translate uh, that inner competitiveness and drive that forward to trying to reach kids that are never going to experience the outdoors. 
And uh, I'm an outdoorsman. Uh, my wife and kids are as well. And we just love it. And I know if I work on an individual community program that I'm going to reach kids probably on a, a, a much smaller basis, but still very impactful. But through Outdoors Tomorrow, I'm able to leverage that and reach hundreds of thousands of kids at a time uh, by scaling this program. No, I think that, that that's so fantastic because what it does is it's giving the kids the opportunity to be outdoors where maybe they don't based on the school that they're at. They really don't get to see what it's like outside the schools in their neighborhood, whatever neighborhood they're living in and seeing it's a different lifestyle, a different type of situation. I remember when I was a kid, the schools, alternative schools that I would go to that were private schools, they would have us do a lot of outdoor work where we would go camping and we would learn about each other and learn about community and learning about how to get along with each other in a different atmosphere, sleeping in the same place versus saying goodbye at three o'clock. You really build those relationships that are people that are not always just the athletes, everyone in between. Kind of explain that where you're getting kids to interact of all different uh, backgrounds and different things, which really helps them build that well-roundedness for moving on as an adult. You know, Neil, we reach the non-involved student. So if you figure at a, uh, and we're K through 12 as well, by the way. So if you figure at a, a typical private public school anywhere in the country, if you don't play a sport and you're not in band, you're not involved. So there is really nothing else for you to to develop those core friendships uh, and develop something that you're going to be passionate about for the rest of your life. So that's where we come in. And if you can uh, participate in any one of the interactive lessons that we do, uh, you'll learn a myriad of different skills that kids can take, not only take home, but they can take on for the rest of their life and get into any one of these different outdoor skills. You know, I, I love what you said about uh, sports and band. You're absolutely right. Like I, I've got grandkids that go to a big school and if they're not involved in anything, they hardly know any kids. There's no connection and connection is so important. And I would think that that because of being outside and the skills that you teach with this, that the kids would bond like there'd be a natural bonding. Are you finding that that happens? Very much so. And you're, you're developing so many different skills over the course of two semesters that it's a way for the teacher to connect the students. Um, and I'll, I'll just jump in on one of those too. Uh, right here, and I live in Fort Worth, Texas, but just right across the Metroplex, uh, we hear so many wonderful stories every single day. You know, and there's a, a wonderful story in Allen, Texas. Uh, the PE teacher at the time, they had just adopted Outdoor Adventures. And, you know, he was going and finding kids uh, you know, right after school, we're just going across the street to uh, like the local Sonic and local fast food places and just hanging out for hours. There is nothing for them to connect to at school and they're not playing band and they're not in a sport. And this is one of the ways that he went around and asked all those students to kind of give a poll for that and, and kind of, kind of find, find out through a survey of what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do for outdoor skills? And all the kids that they have you know, they have nothing to do in the outdoors. They don't know anything about it. And just as simple as where does your meat come from? Where do your vegetables come from? And do you know what the most common answer is? What? Supermarket. Oh, oh man. Or yeah, where it comes Texas, from. That's surprising. It depends on the part of Texas, right? <laughs> when we pull students around the country, most common answer of where it actually comes from, where the, where the origin is, supermarket. This is a tough time. This is where you wonder where 
how much time do you spend on an iPad or iPhone versus learning about anything outdoors, even where your food comes from? Right. Now let's talk about schools that you're involved with. You're in Texas, but you're nationwide doing this, helping with the school. Yeah. We are. We're only lacking Delaware and Connecticut. So if you know anyone in Delaware or Connecticut, we would love to have those contacts. <laughs> they should be involved. They they should be. I know uh, 4-H was part of your life growing up. And I kind of picture this as um, sort of a, a, a 4-H kind of a thing uh, where I was in 4-H too. And the bonds that I made, are I still have friends from 4-H. And, but 4-H isn't available everywhere. It's not available in every school and seems to be a more rural kind of a thing. So to be in the inner cities, uh, how is that different? Or what do you see different with the kids or or the do you have to tweak the program at all? Or what, what are the differences? Just for scale, uh, 4-H, and especially it's huge in Texas. It has a presence around the rest of the country, but it is really big here. But you tend to, just like you said, you tend to only reach that, uh, the rural setting. And even within a rural setting, you have to have parents that are willing to take you to the events on a regular basis. So just for that to happen uh, is pretty difficult. And just by the numbers, uh, a, a much, much, much larger statistic of kids are never going to get the opportunity. It was a core part of my life, and it was a wonderful program. Uh, but even that only lasts a few months out of the year where uh, we try and target all of the best parts of this over a two semester period. And you're reaching every child. Um, and one of the really fun parts, too, I, I say we don't reach the band or sports, but they have the opportunity to take the class as well. And uh, after the first year, uh, we statistically have about a 30 percent um uh, buildup of students that aren't able to take the course because they, they're completely full. So it is um, typically the most sought after course uh, in the school once once they have it for a year. So Sean, what are the challenges for this foundation? What are you moving forward? You got the, the, the grant, but there's still more fundraising available. How can you serve so much even before this, uh, you know, before this grant? And what are the goals for the foundation moving forward after that? You know, we're on track this year to reach about 40,000 new kids, and uh, we're looking for that scalability to reach 200,000 kids a year. Um, and the key part there, and one of the biggest challenges in education, uh, it varies. Uh, and I, by the way, I'm not an educator. Uh, I didn't come into Outdoors Tomorrow as an educator. Uh, and the folks that run our, are the education side of the foundation, they're incredible people, by the way. They're some of the most passionate, wonderful people. But it is incredibly difficult, not being an educator, uh, to try and reach a uh, reaching individual PE teachers. And most of the folks, uh, the vast majority that teach outdoor adventures are not outdoors people. So you're a PE teacher at a school and then you're getting all the training, both from Outdoors Tomorrow and from state agencies and uh, resource agencies for the state. So those are typically uh, the training part is easy. The reaching the administrator at the school, um, and that could be anywhere K through 12, or reaching the PE teacher at the school to even let them know that we exist. Those are two of the biggest challenges there. Mm -hmm. How how do you go about that? Like, what has been successful in reaching teachers and administrators? That is a great question. Uh, 
being our biggest challenge. Uh, it is it's finding people in the the physical education space um, that have those nationwide contacts. That is the number one. Uh, but anything helps. Anything helps from uh, any type of social media. Um, if you if you know about the outdoors and you know how uh, incredible the impact can be having nature in your life and understanding what sustainable do sustainable use does in your life and the impact that it can have on kids at a very young age, a positive impact for that matter. Uh, that's the message. And that's the message we're trying to get kids outside and trying to get uh, get that message to administrators. So it's interesting, Sean, I my background, uh, again, uh, I, I'm a former teacher. So I'm very passionate by this uh, program. And I have a lot of clients who I work with, uh, you know, that I provide social media for and some and podcasting that are you know, in the education field. So I'm definitely going to connect you to more to see if we can get more and more schools to help that process in this networking phase. Because I think it's the biggest challenge today is we cannot get people on the telephone. We cannot find these influencers because the challenge is picking up the phone and calling them. And that process is the biggest, hardest thing. Social media reaches them. My show reaches them. But to have them to take that action, what are the steps involved when it comes to a school that wants to be involved in a program, your program? What do they have to go about doing? You know, we've been refining that process. Um, and and just this is uh, j- just today even. Uh, but building a, uh, a comprehensive uh, e-commerce system through our website that walks you through that entire process has made it uh, so much easier just in the last few months here. Uh, but the process before that is going to our website um, or going to a catalog like Gopher um, is one that a lot of teachers use around the country uh, are easy, easy ways to find us. And you're looking for the outdoor adventures program. So are you, doing, are you reaching out one more question? I'll let you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll okay. like him with that question. You allow private schools as well to be involved in this program or is it just oh public? Gosh, yes, absolutely. Public and private, uh, anyone in between, and we can even translate it as well for other countries. Ah, oh, wow. I love that. That's that's amazing. So if anybody's listening and they're involved in a school where you are not there yet, um, but they're passionate about what they're hearing and they think it'd be so great for their school, do you, do you ever get any individuals that fund it for a school? Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's one of the most special ways that uh, there can be support for a school. So we have individuals that will do funding for uh, an individual school all the way up to uh, regions and entire cities. So we had some incredible folks do that. Um, we had one gentleman do that in Virginia. I mean, brought on uh, uh, about 30 schools at a time. And the, uh, the typical starter package for a school um, is about $1,250. That's a starter package for equipment and curriculum, everything you need to get going. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, so $100,000 is going to go a long way at that amount of money. But um, also, there's got to be a lot of people watching this that have that kind of money and can change how many lives, you know, how many lives to, to get started. The kids have to change. I mean, it's got to be just the healthiest thing. I'm sure parents are pleased with this. What kind of feedback... Do you get from the parents? Uh, better attitude, better attendance in school, um, and overall disposition is much better. There's such <laughs> education needs a huge uh, reinvention through after COVID. As I, I'm talking a lot of my uh, colleagues in the education field, and we need this new revival. 
in education because teachers had to go through so much, kids had to go through so much, and allowing a program like that again. So the best place, Sean, again, to find info on you and stuff, and where, where can they go? GoOTF.com. G-O-O-T-F.com. We appreciate it, Sean. Thanks again. Oh, thank you all. Wonderful. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. That was great stuff. Um, I wanted to, I guess we'll stop the recording, Morgan. I wanted to be healed from this and I need to move on. Um, and that's been really, really beautiful. And then the most beautiful thing that's come from it, honestly, is I think people are beginning to see more and more that God is a perfect father. He's not distant. We're not stepkids. Um, and I can go into the theology of that if you're ever interested, but it's the truth. You know, when we are adopted into his family, we are real children of his. And to know that and be um, aware of that identity of who we are in him is going to change everything in your life, period. So let's go. Let's just jump right, right. More one more question than Kim has her love is question. But I want to jump into this more uh, about, you know, forgiveness. Who's how do we build a relationship with our kids if there's a brokenness? How for fathers that are distant, not by their own fault, but it's just happened. Get back. How do they fight? What do recommendations do you make not to give up? through the power and the challenges in the court system to the just situations that happen in, in a broken relationship that leads to sometimes father being fatherless. That is such a rich question. You know, in my story, when my dad said, Hey, will you forgive me? I made so many mistakes, Eric, and I wish I could do it over again. And I've lost so much sleep that I wasn't there. That's all I needed. It was like I was just like waiting to hear that. And it was genuine and sincere. And then he apologized 15 more times. You know, he's on his deathbed right now. They're about to switch him over to hospice. He has terminal cancer. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, and that was when that movie was filmed, he was given months to live. And, and that was a couple of years ago. So we've enjoyed spending time together during this process. But, you know, listen, that's that's where you start is you know, men need to have a humility and a willingness to apologize and admit their mistakes. And, and that's, again, what it means to be a daddy is to demonstrate humility to our kids and show young men the dangers of pride and arrogance that being willing to say, I'm sorry, is one of the most powerful things we can instill in our kids and to ask for forgiveness. So that's really huge. I always encourage dads, even if you're kicked out of the picture, you can always write a letter. And those words, they will keep those letters. They might tear up the first two, but by the 20th letter, they're going to open them. And you just, you, you have no idea what will happen when they turn 14 and they have a say-so on where they can go custody-wise. You just don't know. Don't give up no matter what. Um, and then again, our biggest obligation is as men, and this is speaking to men, is to point our kids towards a perfect father which I men mentioned multiple times, but it needs to be said. You know, if we're talking data and statistics, that's one of the most important things we can do as men is point our kids to a perfect daddy and to tell them with hum humility that I'm going to make so many mistakes, but I'll be quick to say I'm sorry. Eric, this is such tremendous. Now Kim has her question about love. Go ahead, Kim. 
Yeah, thank you for all of this, Eric. It's so true, everything that you're saying. And uh, and it is hard for people to look to God as a loving God when they when we call him father and they don't have that demonstrated in their life, then they don't know what a loving father is. And it's hard a hard thing to embrace. So to be that loving father to those seven kids and other people out there to other kids, and hopefully this is something that grows and grows and grows. Um, I was diagnosed a few years ago with cancer and sorry about your dad. Cancer sucks, by the way. It does. And lung cancer, I think is what your dad has, right? That's right. Yeah, that's so sad. I'm so sorry. But four months after I was diagnosed, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he passed away six weeks after that. And uh, it made me question some things. And one of the things that made me question was the real meaning of love. So I set out on this journey. I committed a year to figuring out the true meaning of love. And so I took 1 Corinthians 13 and I took it one word at a time. So my first month was love is patient, you know, figuring out what does that mean? Love is patient. The things that I found out just blew my mind. Things that were taught about love that are not love. And I, I think that goes right along with what you're saying that uh, not demonstrating a loving father, but also not demonstrating love, period. Like what, what love really is. And God is love. John says God is love. So if God is love and we're created in his image, we are too, right? So tell me how love is involved in 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 your life and what you do and your passion for all of this. The truth is, even as a, as a Christian in, in full-time ministry, I, I graduated seminary with a master's in theology and ministry. I still had a really skewed perception of God as father and, and God as love. And let me tell you, it changed everything. You know, we, we really exclude father from church and from ministry. We talk about Jesus all day long, but Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room in secret and pray to your father. You know, when the disciples asked him how to pray, how do we start? Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I really started to meditate like you, just meditating on the Bible, what it actually says and seeking who God's character, you know, really is. And it, and it really, I landed on John 16 and John 17. It says that before the creation of the world, God was loving his son. So before there was humans or earth, that's what the Trinity is. It's a father loving his son by the spirit. It's a perfect family and perfect fellowship. And then it says those of us who are in Jesus and he's in us receive the same love from the father that the father has for Jesus. We're not stepkids. You know, and we see a lot of violence and a lot of things in scripture and we question the goodness of the Father. But here is what love is. Love is even when we were enemies of God, he sent his most prized, loving possession to come rescue us and give up everything. He left the 99 to with the one. That's how much he loves us. And when we understand that, our core beliefs inform all of our thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors. When we understand that core belief, it changes our whole world. And so that's what love is. Love gives it away. Love chases down that fatherless kid. Love uh, doesn't hoard it all and keep it for itself. Love sacrifices. Oh, Eric, I wish we had more time. Best place, really quickly, 30 seconds. Where can find info for the film? 
Go to www.fatherlessepidemic.com. There's also a free discussion guide Bible study that you can download, uh, but that's the place to go. All right. We appreciate it. That was, again, the, the Neil Haley Show special simulcast with the Love Is podcast. Take care, guys.